All right. Well, welcome this morning. Love to hear a room full of uh, people greeting one another. Uh, a little bit extra rowdy with uh, our group of churches from uh, around the network who are in, as Matt said, for our Blitz Conference. If you're new or if you're just somebody who's coming and checking out HO for one of the first times, we want to welcome you. It's really great to have you here. Uh, this morning is uh, the last of a couple things. This morning is our last session of our Blitz Conference. For those of you who were here with us uh, yesterday as we've been getting ready uh, for students to return at all 10 of our different H2Os around the state of Ohio and beyond. But today, also also, if you are a member here at H2O Church BG or a visitor, we are finishing our summer-long series that we're calling Hall of Faith. And for me, it's been a blast to get to jump into the Old Testament and almost have like this survey, this overview of these different men and women of faith, these heroes of the faith, so to speak, and to get to hear their stories. And I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of things that have resonated with me just on a, on a personal level. I've been um, inspired by some of the faith that I've seen, but I've also been just encouraged to realize that these heroes of the faith are very similar to us. You know, they were not all perfect. In fact, none of them were perfect, of course, but some of them had some real major issues, and yet God used them in spite of those things. And so even today, as we close this series, as we wrap up and, and as we uh, open up the Word of God, we're going to hear about a man who had plenty of different weaknesses, but God used him in spite of those things. And, and I hope that it encourages you to know that God wants to use you right here today, no matter where you find yourself, no matter how strong or weak you may feel, that God wants to use you in powerful ways. And we're going to get some hope from the story that we read about. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we'll read the section in Hebrews chapter 11 to kind of close us out. And then we're going to jump down into the book of Judges, which is Gideon's story. And that's where we're going to hear more about him. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, it says this, and we read it last week as well. What more shall I say? The author of Hebrews says. He's kind of summarizing. He said, I just told you about all these different heroes. What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Jephthah or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith they conquered kingdoms. They administered justice and they gained what was promised. Who shut the mouths of lions. Who quenched the fury of the flames. Who escaped the edge of the sword. Whose, and this is the part we're going to focus in on today. Whose weaknesses were turned to strength. And who became powerful in battle and rooted out foreign armies. You know, when the author of Hebrews says that statement, he's most likely referring to Gideon, the person that he started that passage with, and the person that we're going to look at today, because he says, whose weaknesses were turned to strength. And I think when we think about strength, it's something that a lot of us, we like to project, don't we? As humans, we like to project the reality and the idea that we are strong, that we have things together, that we have things under control, that we have things taken care of. Some of us, we like to even project like physical strength. I remember for me, I had this, this story, this experience happen to me when I was in high school. You may not know it from looking at me now, but when I was a young lad, you know, in like my late teens, I was in pretty good shape, okay? And uh, I liked to work out a lot, and uh, that was something that me and my friends did a lot. I was into sports, and, and 
weightlifting was pretty cool when, when you're in high school. And so I, I had this day where it was in the middle of summer. I had been lifting weights all summer. I was feeling pretty good about my strength. And, and if you know much about weightlifting, um, when, when you put two plates on each side of the bar, it's 225 pounds. And that's kind of like the standard weight if you're kind of into bench pressing, that if you can do that a couple times, it's kind of like you've arrived to like you're at least at the bare minimum of like a decent weightlifter. And I just got into that point. I put two plates on the edge of the bar. It's 225. And I could do it not a ton of times, but like three, four, five times. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to project strength. So uh, I I jumped down on the the bench press and I didn't want anybody to spot me, but I kind of wanted everybody to see me doing it, right? Maybe some of you guys have experienced that before. So I jump on the bench. I have 225 on the bar and and I'm, I'm making sure that nobody's behind me because I want people to know that I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. I I bench it a couple different times, and I think that I can go for one more rep. And as I go for one more rep, I realize I can't make this last rep. And so I start struggling to try to get it, and there's nobody there to help me. And then I do this thing where I'm like trying to push it back to, to get it off of my chest, and I get it out over top of my face, and no joke, the bar crashes down on my face. Okay, so I made this huge scene. Somebody who's trying to project strength, all of a sudden, you know, everybody runs over. Oh my gosh, are you okay? I have blood coming out of my mouth. And uh, I had to go to the dentist right away. And, uh, you know, they had to call my mom and all these different things. Luckily, luckily it was all right. You know, I, I didn't do any major damage. Thankfully, somehow it just barely missed doing major damage. And people were able to help me quick enough that I didn't do any major harm to myself. But in that moment, I realized something. I realized I was not nearly as strong as I thought I was, you know? I realized that I wanted to project this strength, but I was actually a little bit weaker than I wanted to admit. And as we come to this story today, I wonder if some of us, we feel that way here today. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out, like, am I, am I strong? Am I weak? What type of person am I? Whether we're talking physically, emotionally, spiritually, how would I define myself? And, and I want to share this big idea with you as we jump into the, the story of Gideon. The big idea is this. True strength comes from trusting in the Lord no matter what's going on around us. True strength doesn't come from how many times you can throw up 225. True strength doesn't come from from how strong we are. True strength comes from trusting in the Lord no matter what the circumstances. And we're going to see this play out in Gideon's life. See, I got to give you some background as we're jumping into Judges chapter 6. That's one of the challenges with this series because you always got to catch people up as to where they are in the, in the picture of the Old Testament. But here's what's going on. Uh, God's people had seen God do amazing things. As we worked our way through Genesis, we saw God uh, establish a, a nation. And then we get into Exodus and, and God uh, calls out the people of Israel from Egypt. And he parts the Red Sea and God gives Abraham a promise. I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to give you a great land. He promises them those two things. And there's times throughout the story where it looks like, how in the world are you going to do this, God? But God does that. And and they come out of Egypt and they enter the promised land and God's people uh, just see God do miraculous things. But some years pass and the people of God, ancient and still to this day, they had this cycle where they would see God do great things, they would follow God, and after a little while, they would start to drift and fall away. They would see God do great things, they would follow God, they would start to drift 
and move further and further away from God. Well, we find ourselves in Judges chapter 6 at a season in the nation of Israel where the people were drifting again and again. And it's like they'd turn to these other idols. There's all of these other tribes and people around them that are worshiping these fake gods, these idols. And, and the people of Israel, they, they got bored, I guess, with, with their God, the God who had actually brought them out of Egypt. And so they start worshiping these idols as well. And they look almost exactly like people who aren't even believers. The people of God are just kind of assimilated and, and they're, they're kind of running and they're scared and they have no faith and they're not following the Lord at all. And they're actually getting beat up on by the tribes around them. So the Bible says that God kind of gave them over to their enemies to kind of get their attention and remind them, hey, you need me in this situation. And so uh, the, the enemies of God's people, the enemies of Israel, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they were ravaging Israel. Israel would make these you know, great gardens and plants and they'd build these buildings and then tribes from around there would come in and they would take all of their food and they would take all of their stuff and they would leave and God's people would just be so frustrated and so upset and so angry and this pattern continued to happen over and over again. And so the people of God are discouraged. They're getting bullied. They're getting taken advantage of and they're not worshiping God at all. They think that maybe these idols can bring some type of, some form, um, some form of relief to them and what they're experiencing. And so they start to turn to those things. And that's where we pick up the story in Judges chapter 6. It's not a good season for God's people. In, in Judges chapter 6, if you want to open there with me, we're going to find the story of Gideon. And we're going to stop a couple times throughout his story. It says this. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joseph the Aborite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when an angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I want to stop right there because this should be a bizarre scene in our minds. And it leads us to our first point, that Gideon was fearful. Gideon was full of fear. Remember what we just talked about. There's people that are plundering them over and over again. And so it says that Gideon, one of God's people, was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, for most of us, that means nothing, right? Threshing wheat, what? And wine press, what? But that was a big deal, right? I mean, wheat was one of the, the foods that they needed to survive. And so threshing wheat is simply, you know, separating the, the chaff from the kernel, like getting all the stuff, the chaff, the stuff that you don't need, the kernel, the stuff that you do need, and you have to separate it. Well, typically uh, in those days and still to this day in an agricultural society, you need space to do that, right? You have to spread it out. You get it up in the air a little bit. You let the wind take care of it and separate the two because the chaff is really light. The seed is a little bit heavier. And so you need some space to, to, to make sure that the wheat gets separated and the things that are good get separated from the things. That, but it says that Gideon is doing this down in a wine press, which is basically like a cave during that time. So he is hiding in a cave doing a menial task of, of, of separating this wheat. And an angel of the Lord shows up to him and he says, listen, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay, it's a bizarre statement because he's hiding from his enemies, doing something very simple, and this angel Lord out of nowhere shows up to him. And I think as I, I read that story and as I listen, I feel like a lot of us can probably relate a little bit to Gideon, can't we? 
You know, one of the things that I hear more and more as a pastor is this idea that so many of us were, were grippled with fear. You know, fear is something that grips us. Fear is something that, is, that many of us we deal with on a daily basis. Because we look at our world and we see all the things going on around us and, and it produces fear in us. For some of us, just the idea of talking to other people, it brings fear into our hearts and to our minds. Fear is something that so many of us deal with. And, and, and I wonder, I wonder if God would say something really similar to us because we may feel a lot like Gideon hiding in a wine press. You know, not wanting to get out of our rooms, not wanting to go out and engage, not wanting to take the love of Christ to the people around us. But I wonder if God showed up to us even today, what would he say? I wonder if he'd say something similar. God is with you, mighty warrior. See, when, when we enter a relationship with Christ, when we enter a covenant with God, as Gideon was in, as a person of God, God gets to define who we are. Not our emotions, not our feelings, but God himself. And so whether you feel fearful or not, if you walk with God, then you're not a person that's defined by your fear or your anxiety or your angst. You're a person that is defined by what God says about you. And I think that God would say a similar thing to us as he says to Gideon. Mighty warrior is what he calls him. Let's jump back in and see Gideon's response in verse 13. Right away, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. Here's Gideon's first response, verse 13. Pardon me, Lord, um, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. And he's given us into the hands of Midian. And the Lord turned to him, the angel, and turned to him and said, Go in strength. You have and saved Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Gideon again, pardon me, Lord. <laughs> Question, um, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Isn't that a pretty relatable section right there? It leads us to our second point. Gideon had questions. Gideon had questions of God. You know, as you look at this reality of a scared person hiding in a wine press, angel showing up to him saying, God's going to use you, it makes sense that the first thing he does is start asking questions. And Gideon had two primary questions. The first question was about God. And I think it's a question that many of us probably have. It's basically like, God, are you real? Like, let's be honest. We're in church, but you can still be honest, right? Have you ever had that question before? God, are you real? Are you there? Gideon says, I read about all your works when you parted the Red Sea, when you brought us out of Egypt, all these miraculous things that you did. But, but man, I haven't seen anything recently, God. Are you real? Are you working? Are you alive? Are you here? Why are all these bad things happening to us, God, if you are real? He asks this angel this question. And you know what? It's really interesting. The angel doesn't give him a theological answer. He doesn't say, well, let me explain, you know, the, the wisdom of God to you. And here's exactly why these things happen. And here's why you haven't seen God do a miracle. No, he just says, go in strength. God has a plan for you. And he's with you. 
So Gideon has a question about God, but then secondly, Gideon has a question about himself, right? Not just about God, but about himself. First question, pardon me, Lord, where have you been? Second question, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? How, how could I do this? You're talking to Gideon. My family's not that great. I'm down in a wine press doing hiding from my enemies. God, you want to use me? Okay, even if you are real. What, me? This just doesn't make sense to me. And again, I know for many of us, these are the two primary questions that we have in our lives as well. God, where are you? I want to see you show up. And God, when you do show up, probably use somebody else. <laughs> because I don't feel like I'm that special. I don't feel like you could really use me. I have brokenness. I have weakness. I, I'm just an average guy. Those are the exact things that Gideon says. But listen, when God gives him the answer, what does he say? Again, no theological prescription. He doesn't even take him to a different Bible verse. What he says is, I will be with you. Go. Have faith because I will be with you. And Jesus has given every single one of us that exact same promise. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, which is one of the verses that we hang our hat on as a church, Jesus says, I will be with you always, even till the very end of the age. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So I'm going to be with you always. So you can go and know that you can have confidence in God and you can even have confidence in yourself because God has empowered you because he is with you. And it's not about you, but it's about the strength that comes from following a God who is always with us, who has all authority on heaven and in earth. You know, there's something freeing about knowing that God is with us. God is with us. You know, I was... Um, I have three kids to talk about them a lot. And, and all kids, I think, different phases of their life, you know, just because they're developing, they struggle with fear during certain seasons of life. That's, that's how kids are, right? And so my youngest right now, sometimes he struggles with fear. And, and just a couple weeks ago, we were hanging out with some friends. We were on the Maumee River, and we started kayaking. And my youngest son, Isaac, we don't kayak all that often. And he's actually a good swimmer. He's like, there shouldn't be anything to be afraid of. But as we're getting in the kayak, he's like, Dad, Dad, it's just me and him. He's like, Dad, let's just stay really close to the edge. Like, I don't want to get too far out into the middle of the river. And I'm like, buddy, why not? Well, we might tip over and we might drown. I'm like, I'm with you. We're not, I'm not going to let anything happen to you. It's like, okay, well, let's just stay close to the side of the river, you know? And so we get in the boat, and of course, I'm not going to just stay close to the side of the river, you know? <laughs> That's not how I roll. So, uh, you know, we, we do it for a little bit, and then I'm like, we're going to go out there a little bit more. He's like, no, Dad. I'm like, hey, I'm right here. I'm with you. It's going to be okay. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Even if we tip over, which we're not going to. Even if we tip over, I got you, buddy. I'm going to take care of you. Okay. And so we start going out a little bit further. And, Dad, let's turn around. No, buddy, I'm with you. It's all right. Everything's fine. I'm right here beside you. And as we got further and further out, then he started having more and more fun. started to realize, I can be free from some of those fears and doubts that I'm having because, yeah, dad is with me. 
What's going to happen? What's the worst that can happen? And, and I think, as I think about that reality, I think about that analogy, I think that that's what God's saying to each one of us. You know, some of us are here, we're preparing to, to take the gospel to the campus here in a couple weeks, and, and that can produce fear and questions in our heart. I want you to know God is with you. God is with you. And the boat tips over, he's right there to take care of you and protect you and shepherd you and love you and care for you. You know, some of us, we have issues and situations in our life that produce so much fear and so much question. And we may be asking a lot of questions, God, why, how? I can't give you that answer right now for each and every situation. But what I can tell you is what the word of God tells us. He is with us in the midst of those seasons. He is with you. And that gives us comfort and strength to take on anything that God brings our way. Let's jump back into the text. Verse 25 of Judges chapter 6. We'll skip down a little bit. It says this, That same night, the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal. Cut down the Asher pole beside it and then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God. And then, I missed the section. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Tear down the altar to the Lord your God on the top of the height using the wood from the Asher pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. And so Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid, he's still afraid. Even though God's empowering, because he was afraid, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. And in the morning, when the townspeople got up, there was Baal's altar demolished and the Asher pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. What's going on here is God empowers him. God tells him he has a mission. Listen, your people are supposed to be worshiping me. Instead, they're worshiping these false idols. Go tear down those idols, Gideon. Gideon's still afraid, but he rallies 10 of his friends and they go in the middle of the night and they tear down these idols, these altars that were worshiping these false gods rather than the true God of Israel. And, and as, as they, they come, they sacrifice a bull to the Lord and, and it totally changes the culture of that town. It totally reminds the people of God who they should be worshiping. See, third is this, Gideon was a catalyst. Even though Gideon was fearful and even though Gideon had questions, Gideon was a catalyst for change in his community. Gideon rallied people to say, these gods are false gods. We worship the true God. We're God's people. We have to remind our people of their identity. Why are they wasting their time, money, energy, worshiping these things that aren't even real? Let's go tear them down because that's what God wants us to do. And let's worship the true God. See, Gideon took a risk for God. Gideon did something that very easily could have got him killed. As we read on a little bit more, people are not very happy with Gideon at all. Many people aren't. But then people start to rally around him and say, yeah, why have we forgotten about God? Yeah, we can stand up to these other nations that are bullying us and taking all of our stuff. We're the people of God. God's given us this land. God's given us this nation. We need to have some trust and faith in him. And that one step of obedience 
was what the whole nation of Israel needed to turn back to God. Gideon was a catalyst for change because even though he was fearful and even though he had questions, he stepped in and took action, took a risk for God. And as I think about all of us, I wonder, what are the areas that God may want you to be a catalyst in? What are the areas or what are the idols that God may want you to say, that's something in my life or my community or my group of friends or my family that needs torn down because it's taking us further and further away from God. You see, the Old Testament talks a lot of times about idols and oftentimes we think of idols as like these statues that, that people, you know, thousands of years ago bowed down and worshiped and that's the only thing that's idol, but we can still have idols to this day. See, an idol is anything that we worship above the true God. Even good things in our life can become idols when we put them above God's rightful place in our life, at the center of our worship. And so even as we hear the story of Gideon and see how he was a catalyst, I wonder if there's any areas of our life that God wants us to be a catalyst and say, we need to take on that idol. Maybe it's an individual idol that you have that you're struggling with, or maybe it's something within your close group of friends or family that you need to address with them and say, how can we tear this down so that we can worship the true God? Gideon was a catalyst. Let's read this last section because here's what's ha what happens. After Gideon catalyzed the whole nation of Israel, they decided together following Gideon, yeah, that was right what Gideon did. And not only that, we need to stand up for ourselves. God is with us. We're getting plundered by these foreign armies, but God is with us. We can go and take care of our people. And so in Judges chapter 7, verse 1 says, Early in the morning, Gideon and all of his men, they camped at the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian, the place that kept attacking them and plundering them. I can't deliver Midian into your hands. Why? Because Israel will boast against me. It's my own strength that saved me. And so now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and may leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left and 10,000 remained. I'm not a math major, but that means there's 32,000 men to start with, right? And, and so the Lord says, if anybody's even scared, if any of you warriors are fearful, scared, guess what? I don't, I don't need you. You can go back home. I'll take the people who are ready to fight. I'll take the people who aren't scared. So 22,000 people leave, soldiers leave, 10,000 stay and remain. Check out verse 4. But then the Lord said to Gideon, that's still too many. 10,000 is still too many. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If, if I say this one shall go to you, he shall go to you. But if I say this one shall not go to you, he shall, shall not go to you. So basically... Gideon, just trust me. Listen to me. I'm going to separate these people. I have a plan. Verse 5. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. And 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like a dog, and all the rest got down on their knees. Now, I personally thought there'd be more lappers. I mean, 300 out of 10,000. It just seems like there'd be more lappers. But there weren't. I guess there were... That there, there's only 300 lappers. And so in verse 7, the Lord said to Gideon, with those lappers, with those 300 men that lapped, 
I will save you and, and give the Midianites into your hand. Started with 22,000, no, 32,000. Now we're down to 300. I, I will save, give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home. Let the people who didn't laugh go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but he kept the 300 who took the provisions and trumpets of the others. So verse 19, let's jump down. Verse 19, Gideon and the 300 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch just after they had changed guard and they blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands and three companies blew the trumpets and they smashed the jars, grasping the torches with their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets that they were blowing and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all of the Midianites, they ran and they cried and they fled. And the 300 trumpets sound, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other. So God causes confusion in the Midianite camp and they all get confused because there's these trumpets sounding and there's these torches burning and they start fighting amongst themselves, friendly fire. And the army fled to Bathsheba towards Zezra as far as the Abel, as far as Abel Methara and near Tabitha. The Israelites from Nepal and Asher and Messiah were all called out and they reached and they pursued the Midianites in Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill of Ephraim, saying, Come down, the Midianites are seized, and the waters of the Jordan ahead of them are as far as Bethbara. Lots of big words in there. But fourth is this God is the conqueror. God is a conqueror. See, sometimes as we wrap up this series, it's so tempting to look at a story like Gideon and say, Man, Gideon is such an amazing man of faith. Or, or, or look at a person like Abraham or Moses or any of the people that we looked at. But we've been talking about this over and over throughout the series. And it's true still for each and every one of us. Gideon isn't the hero. The people of God are never the heroes. God is the conqueror. Do you catch what God did there? He said, I know you. I know my people. I know that you are going to be tempted to take credit for this victory if I let you go in full strength. I know for sure that you're going to put it on your own shoulders and say that you did it. So I have to make sure that I do something drastic so that you know it's not about you. And so he starts whittling down this army all the way down to 300 people. And it's like, that makes no logical sense how, how they could ever win that battle with only 300 soldiers. And yet God somehow miraculously gives them victory. God was the conqueror. He's making it clear. I want the credit. I want the glory. See, our God deserves all of the glory that he can get. Anything good that ever exists comes from the beauty of God. And so when God calls us to give him glory, it's not for his own good. It's not like he needs to, to build himself up. It's that we need it to remind ourselves of how great and powerful he is. And as we worship him and as we serve him, that's when we become fully alive, when we give God glory. That's when we're at a point when we're thriving. That's when we know that he's with us. That's when those weaknesses start to fade away and we become strong. When we're giving the God of the universe his proper glory. God shepherds us, loves us, and cares for us as he points us towards his glory. You see, God wanted to make sure that nobody was tempted to be a glory thief. <laughs> that Gideon or any of those soldiers felt like it was them 
that did the battle. God wanted them to know that it was him. And so as we close here today, I wonder, we think about the story of Gideon, I wonder if we, we feel like we have flaws of biblical proportions. I wonder if you feel like you can relate to some of these people that we've talked about this summer. But I also want you to know that God uses people just like them and just like you and just like me to do his will and bring him glory because when we trust in him, that's when we're strong. That's where our strength comes from, knowing that he is with us, knowing that he is the one that gives us the ability to do anything good. And so as you go out, as you love people, as you care for people, as you go out into the world that God is gonna send us out into, remember, he's with you and he's where you get your strength. Let's pray.